Hello, welcome to the Green Iowa Pod. Uh, we are here today uh, talking about gender and uh, sustainability. So more specifically, gender equality and sustainable development. Yeah, hi, so I'm Cassie. I'm gonna be jumping in here just to talk some about the um, economic side of things, which is really unavoidable. So we know that from previous episodes, we know that gender equality is kind of one of the sustainable development goals. And I think that can be something that can feel disconnected from sustainability. You know, you think climate change, life above, life on land, life below water, those feel very obvious. Gender equality might not so much. Um, but as it turns out, it really is important. Um, and so I think we're gonna have to start with kind of the role that women have typically played and, um, and still do play in many parts of the world, um, which is where women don't really own a lot of land. Um, they often can't access loans because they don't have collateral. Um, there's often traditional and cultural norms that um, mean that even if women do own land, they're not seen as the um, first decision maker on it. Um, and also there's you know, limited education for women in many parts of the world, which then tends to um, you know, lead to less economic opportunities later on in life. Um, and recently, well, with the ongoing pandemic, COVID has disproportionately impacted women and job losses. So women make up 39% of global workforce, but they only made up 54% of pandemic-related job losses. And the pandemic also widened the already existent gender pay gap. Um, and as, as you can see, this women make up 39% of global work of the global workforce, which is not the 50-50% that you would expect. But the other thing we have to consider is the amount of unpaid labor that women do in domestic work, uh, child care, um, often elder care, et cetera, too, um, that women are often putting in all these hours of work that don't get counted in GDP or, you know, as the, that don't bring in income, but are incredibly necessary and essential for the continued, you know, survival of their families. Um, and so that also contributes to the lack of time and resources that women have to um, develop themselves economically. Um, and there's, I don't know how you feel about this, Daniel. I think this is a very interesting argument and probably not the first one I would put forward, but there is research that indicates the cost of violence against women um, could amount to about 2% of the global GDP, which is about $1.5 trillion, which is like the size of the Canadian economy. And so the World Bank's groups on women, business, and the law basically said that equality of opportunity is good economics and that when women don't participate in the economies, it costs the world about 15% of its GDP. And, you know, those are some big numbers, obviously, but I, how do you feel about kind of using that as an argument towards gender equality when there's kind of all these other components? Um, I think that that's more of like a, if you're trying to get on board, like the, the economic people of like the people who are like, well, you gotta work. Um, you got to make money. I feel like that's an argument for those folks, but I feel like it's separated from like the, um, like the foundation of like why gender equality is a, a, a positive. If you're, I feel like if that, if that's the argument that really gets you on board, I don't think you're in it for like the right reason. Yeah, no, I could agree with that. I mean, obviously there's something to be said, of course, for women being able to have economic independence, which they can't. 
um, if you know they're not part of the participating in the economy and getting paid equally. But I do think it kind of skirts around some of the other really major issues, um, one of which is violence against women. So um, gender-based violence will occur to about one in three women worldwide. And this is obviously terrible for many, many reasons. Um, but it's also important to note that this can often be used to silence dissent from women about certain like land management decisions. So when we think about women's role in land management, that really becomes one of the big ways it ties into um, sustainability. So typically, um, so let's say that you know you go out there, um, some program, and you want to educate people on you know sustainable farming, maybe switching their crops, maybe introducing um, new variety, you know, new species of goats or something like that that are, you know, will be able to successfully survive uh, climatic changes. Um, without if, if you just go in that and you don't have kind of any intention specifically to include women, you're not going to end up benefiting that many women because it's going to be mostly men who own land, mostly men who are allowed to make decisions about what the family does. Um, so you have to kind of specifically target women and make sure that they are empowered to make decisions about land. Um, and also, um, oh, sorry. So also, you know, there's this issue of women as decision makers more broadly. Um, so women are really underrepresented, underrepresented in decision-making in terms of like government. Um, women make up less than 25% of all national par par parliamentarians around the world. Um, and that underrepresentation is also found in national environmental decision-making. So women only hold 12% of the top ministerial positions in environment-related sectors worldwide. And that includes the district or community level communities. Um, and this is bad <laughs> for multiple reasons. Not one, I think there's something to be said for women deserve to have a voice because they're equal and there is no reason that women shouldn't be equally represented just as a baseline moral statement, you know, right there. However, from a sustainability perspective, it's especially bad because countries that have more women um, in parliament or in Congress are more likely to ratify environmental treaties. And at the community level, we have seen again and again in places like India and Nepal that forest management groups include women show better resource governance and conservation outcomes. And you know, that could also be because um, you know, the, the World Bank doesn't exactly, the UN don't exactly sit there and um, kind of try to come up with reasons why that might be. Um, but I think, I think it's worth noting that women are more vulnerable to a lot of environmental and, clim and climatic changes than men. Um, you, know, you see stuff like women having to, um, are in charge of uh, procuring water. So if there's drought, and you know they have to go twice as far to get water. The women are going to have an intimate experience with that um, because of the personal um, and societal expectations that are put on them, and that's going to really you know result um, them having a different perspective potentially on sustainable practices. Do you think maybe there's other reasons that women kind of we see this global trend towards women you know making more sustainable decisions? Um, I think if you're more like locally focused and like on your, I, I think maybe even on your own family in particular, like a, a lot of sustainable decisions are made not for ourselves, but for our children, our children's children and their children and so on. And so if you're sort of, if you're thinking like that long term, you sort of have a different perspective 
on like the 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 outcomes of of what you're trying to achieve are different and have a longer different time frame than sort of this the 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 systemic approach that we that is ubiquitous that is everywhere today of like getting top dollar right now while we can and then whatever happens happens um and i think that that approach has is very short-sighted um and i think that i don't know it, it it doesn't apply to all women it doesn't apply to all men but i think that like if we're talking about gender specifically like i i feel that um women do have or i guess i don't know generally speaking um that sort of focus on uh that longevity I'm not I'm not sure if that's entirely true or not, but I, yeah, I, I mean, we're like just speculating here cause, elsewhere. Yeah, because the UN didn't exactly care. I mean, we'll provide the resources that you can look through and if we miss something, but the UN did not spend too much time speculating on why that might be. It just kind of boldly asserted it. So um, I think it's an interesting thing to consider, though. Um, and we have some specific examples of programs that have specifically targeted um, women to help their lively to help them um, increase the sustainability of their livelihoods. And I'm really excited about these. We'll link them um, in the description. I think they're just incredibly interesting and I love seeing practical examples of this kind of thing, but I will walk us through those a bit now. So the first one was um, located in Zambia. Um, it was through the UN Development Program and it was bringing goats um, to female farmers. And so basically the idea of this was they are especially targeting women who you know lived kind of on the edge of poverty. So they're, they're um, they give an example of Sylvia Chinda and, you know, her husband had died. She'd had no savings. You know, she had seven kids um, to, to, you know, take care of. Um, and, you know, even though she had access to some land, um, you know, because of climatic changes, um, that's really the production of that has lowered a lot over time. And we also know that Zambia as a country is going to see more frequent and intense floods, more frequent and intense droughts and other kind of um, consequences of climate change, which, you know, are only going to further reduce um, income for people who are living like very marginally off the land. Um, so uh, um, the other thing that this focused on um, is that rural families often can't get loans from mainstream uh, banks to kind of do anything about the weather extremes that they're going to experience. Um, so because they're poor and viewed as high risk, that by itself prevents a bar barrier um, to entry. So if you want to start up uh, your own business and try to, you know, make an income that's not, um, is reliant on something that can fall due to climate risk, um, you know, oftentimes it's just impossible to get a loan. You know, they don't have local banks. And if you try to go to the city and you don't have land to put up as collateral, you know, you're not getting, um, you're not getting a loan. And then, you know, these, you know, you don't have enough money just to start a business up on your own. Um, so that's why um, the, the UN Development Program, um, and which came together with Food and Agricultural Organization, the FAO, the World Food Program, and the Ministry, Ministry of Agriculture in Zambia Meteorolog Meteorological Appoint uh, Department, um, specifically set up a program to help small-scale farmers um, tap into what they call a booming and drought resistant source of income. 
which is goat rearing. Um, so there was about $32 million provided from the uh, Green Climate Fund, which is the world's largest dedicated climate fund. Um, and so this was specifically, they, this came from the gender and social specialists that they have there at the Green Climate Fund, um, where they, you know, this is why the sustainable development goals are so important that they encompass a broad variety of issues because this allows action to be taken where they're specifically thinking about how do we have climate action that's inclusive? How do we have climate action that also benefits these other sustainable development goals? And that's, I think, a much better approach than trying to kind of come at these things piecemeal and pass one law to help women there and pass one law to try to improve the environment there. Um, so there are about 8,000 farmers who are mostly women who got, got free training in goat rearing and animal um, husbandry. And then they were also given five goats to begin with, you know, the tools, what they needed to prevent disease, build sheds, um, tackle breeding management. And that kind of startup has been incredibly beneficial um, to, to women there. So their example, woman of Sylvia, the one who had seven children, her husband had passed away, went from five goats to 30 goats um, in a year. And we also have to think it's not, you know, about the products that goats produce that can be useful in other ways like manure um, for the use for like fertilizer. Um, so then she was able to sell 10 of the goats and then was able to pass on five goats to other women so they could embark on like, you know, the same journey to financial stability. Um, and has raised income levels for all the farmers in all the districts where the project, um, where the project is happening. Um, and that for them, this means not only do they have money for things like school fees for her children, which then ties into other sustainable development uh, goals like increased education, um, but also it's a steady income and they have more equity means more resilience. Um, so for example, you, you as a woman have the opportunity to sell goats to put food on the table. You're able to make those decisions. Um, you can use goat manure as fertilizer in, in their gardens. And for a lot of women, that allows them to grow vitamin-rich vegetables. And that, you know, results in healthier meals, um, valuable sources of protein from goat meat and milk, and climate practice, or sorry, and farming practices that are a lot more climate resilient. Um, yeah, and there's, I, I really appreciate, they had an example from Charity Lungu, who is a mother of four, who um, lives in the same reason, re region as some of the other female farmers who said that um, she talked about how you, she used to have to send her kids to school um, hungry, but now because of this income program where she has her own goats, um, she's able to buy them food, uniforms, and books. Um, and she said, they're now able to focus on school, not hunger. And another woman said, I am, not, I am not worried anymore about my children going hungry or falling ill. I can always sell a goat if we have needs. Um, and I think that's just a really powerful testament to um, you know, the results of empowering women um, and, you know, these decisions that kind of ripple down outside that and, and that help us achieve, you know, other goals that we want to see, you know, where the children get education so they have more opportunities um, to hopefully contribute to um, climate resilience in their own countries or maybe on a broader scale. Um, it's also really interesting to note if you're thinking about like why goats specifically, um, Saudi Arabia has apparently a huge demand for goats. They want to import like at least 1 million goats per year. So that's actually going to be a large market demand for those in Zambia. Um, and 
Yeah, I think that that's, to me, that's a really powerful example. It's a really interesting example because, you know, you don't necessarily think of, you give some people goats and oh, you're more climate resilient and have more gender equality. Um, but I really enjoyed it and we'll have the link to that full article so you can read it yourself. But yeah, do you have any kind of thoughts about the approach of that program? Um, I think I think it does a, a good good job of building up in a way uh, a, a, a system of wealth that's outside of a banking structure because like like you said you like if if you need like cash you could just sell a goat um, and so I think that is sort of like your livestock like whereas like if like we've sort of separated a lot of a lot of like the the financial industry terms from like the actual like situation on the ground. And that is literally stock that you have in your own, like on your own land. Um, and so I think that for just from that aspect of it, it you, it's, there's a difference. I don't want to get into it too much, but the difference between like income and wealth is very important here yeah. um, because wealth is like money that you have without anything coming or going income is just like what's coming in um and if you if you have what whatever you have at that point in time it can include assets it can include your land it can include um livestock and crops and all, and all that and all those types of things not only like liquid money like money money um and uh, so I think that's 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 an important um, thing there, and also it's it's something that can grow, and um, I don't know, not to beat a dead horse, but be more sustain sustainable in that way. Yeah, I think that's really true, and I think it's so much. You know, if you look at that, and you're like, maybe the problem is they can't get loans from banks because there aren't any local banks. Um, so. You know, if you approach it from that way and you're just like, okay, well, let's establish a local bank and tell them, you know, and make it so they can give them uh, loans, even though they might be high risk, like you're kind of ignoring a lot of the other problems. And I think approaching it this way, like you said, by giving them something material that can propagate and that, you know, gives them that flexibility financially is a lot more effective and a lot more direct, especially in terms of um, gender equality development, because then you know, you're not trying to say, you're not trying to regulate the banks and say, you have to give women, you know, this, you know, 50% of the loans or, you know, even things that you can't really regulate. Like if you, you can't really tell people culturally, you have to let women get loans. Like that's just not effective and it's not how you, how you get things um, to happen. So I think that that's, it's really valuable in that sense too. And it's a really good approach. Um, and the other one I wanted to discuss was from um, the UN Women's Committee. Um, so it's a, technically it's the Commission on the Status of Women. Um, and this is an example this time in um, Guatemala. So moving into another part of the world so that we see that this is an idea that's applicable um, regardless of location. Um, and this one was about beekeeping um, and how uh, educating women on beekeeping uh, brought sustainable jobs and income to rural communities, and then also helped change some cultural mindsets and attitude towards women. Um, so, yeah, so this one um, talked basically about how this, it was a very small program at first um, for a female, a female entrepreneurship initiative. Um, 
So 29 women were signed up age 18 to 85 years. Um, and they had completely different levels of knowledge, skills, and experiences, as you might expect with that kind of age range. Um, and they decided what they wanted to try was beekeeping. Um, you know, this is obviously important for um, local communities in terms of having pollinators for your um, crops. And globally, of course, we know that the decline of pollinators is going to have a big impact on global agriculture. So restoring that where we can is, um, you know, really important. And, but also much like the goats, um, this gave them something tangible because um, by through training new members and learning more about beekeeping, they were able to um, grow their beehives from 42 to 53. And that was after some initial setbacks um, because they didn't, you know, have like very large profits at first. Um, and now they can produce about 150 bottles of honey, bottles of honey in the peak season. And it also creates this culture where they're able to go to other women and offer advice and be like, you know, here's where we had issues, here's where we had success um, and, you know, can help, you know, can help other communities learn from each other. Um, and the other interesting part, I think, is how, um, so it, this was an indigenous community where typically the gender roles for women were to have babies and stay home and the men earn the money, so the men make the decisions. Um, but they've actually seen a shift in that um, to women having a voice in village meetings because they're bringing income, jobs, and also media attention. So when this kind of, um, you know, when this kind of story gets covered, it obviously can bring, um, and there's attention in these areas, it can bring further, um, it can bring further jobs. Um, and so this is um, much, you know, this brings together a lot of the sustainable development goals um, gender equality, we also remember maybe that there was one called decent work and economic growth, and then also the, um, you know, just the general climate resilience. And uh, we will also link that. There's, uh, there's more articles if you feel like just sitting down and learning about a bunch of cool initiatives across the world um, that women have participated in to kind of link these sustainable development goals together. You can knock yourself out. I think they're really good and really interesting to read. And I know that this is probably our last podcast of our year. Um, so I want to thank everyone who's been listening to us and hopefully you've all learned a lot of interesting things. I certainly have in the research to prepare um, these podcasts. And I hope that this is a good note to end on because, you know, we have some practical examples of things actually working and providing positive things in the world. And especially in the environmental field, that can be sometimes difficult to find, especially um, in light of oftentimes very depressing reports about um, the state of different environmental um, issues. But I think this shows that there are opportunities out there. There are ways to connect these sustainable development goals and there is a path forward. All right, well, well thank you very much um, for tuning in. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.